you're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we're dissecting what happened on last week's episode with Geneva Hagen and with Richard Toronto, who lives in California. That's kind of interesting considering his name. I always thought of him as being Canadian. Really? I mean, that's a stupid conclusion to reach. But that was about it. I've obviously known him for a few years. But it's interesting here about Ray Palmer and the fact that he is probably one of the unsung heroes, not just in the UFO field, because he kept the subject alive with Fate Magazine and his own publication, but also in science fiction, where he took amazing stories and totally changed the way they approach science fiction. So instead of being just something that was the province of a small number of fans, it became a mass market product. And you think the kind of science fiction that he promoted, as I said last week, came to be in movies such as Forbidden Planet in the 50s, Star Trek in the 60s, Star Wars in the 70s. But in the science fiction field, Ray Palmer is a pariah. Isn't that sad? Uh, yeah, it, it is sad. I think you're right. He is an unsung hero uh, to some. And he's also, I think we can vilify him a little bit for, for creating that downward momentum of the snowball going down the hill in terms of how people perceive what were then called flying saucers and how that pop culture sort of veneer has uh, slowly been building on the snowball as it goes down the hill. So in in one sense, Ray Palmer kind of set the whole misperceptions of the phenomenon uh, in the public's eye. I think uh, he set that that momentum going. And in one sense, yeah, he popularized the the whole connection between flying saucers and underground, you know, dwellers and that sort of thing. But he propagated these memes that uh, that were still fighting today. <laughs> well, certainly he did, however, voice a lot of interesting things about the UFO field, if you read what he said. And one of which, of course, is the so-called fact. This piece of information where he looks into certain things about a UFO case or any paranormal event and if that thing is verified, the case must be true. But I think a lot of what he said about the fact was nonsense. I think he was playing games with people. Yeah, and we see that today with uh, the twins that shall not be mentioned and others who who mix fact with fiction and uh, give equal weight uh, to hoaxes and possibly true events and, and true visual evidence alike. So... I think that this is really a major problem, trying to scientifically study these phenomena. And we're, we're constantly battling this misperception in the public, this pop culture sort of front-loading, if you will, that all started back with, with Ray Palmer. And, you know, you have to think about the people who follow Palmer. Like one of the columnists in his magazine had a column called Chasing the Flying Saucers. It was Gray Barker. So Gray <laughs> Barker got some of his start... In Ray Palmer's Flying Saucers magazine, of course, Ray Barker had some great stuff that he reported on. He did a really good account of the Flatwoods Monster, for example. But he and Jim Mosley made up more than their share of hoaxes. Also, Tim Beckley took over that column when Gray Barker gave it up. So you have to think how many people 
got started in the UFO field, good or bad, because of Ray Palmer and his I presence. I rest my case. <laughs> right. And so a few of us had the fun of meeting him. He was fun. I wish we could have spent hours talking with him because he was an original. He was a character. So was Richard Shaver. And as I said, Geneva and I figured out how to look at his rock books and see something there. Now, maybe it was our state of mind. You know, a couple of young whippersnappers in our 20s. Maybe today, if we separately looked at those pictures, we wouldn't see anything. Something else mentioned on the show I thought that was worth attention. And that is the way that the human mind picks up and stores symbols. So if we don't have a frame of reference for something, we see something out there that doesn't fit with our knowledge or experience. There's no frame of reference. We attempt to interpret that in accordance with what we understand. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent that influences the UFO mystery. To what extent do we look at things so alien to us that we have no frame of reference, we can't understand it, so we make it into something that conforms to our culture, like spaceships, like gods from heaven, that sort of thing. Exactly. And it also it's- brings to mind the book Contact and the movie, the sequence where Jodie Foster meets E.T., And E.T. says to her, he's appearing in the form of her late father because she couldn't accept his true appearance. She couldn't accept it. Well, uh, you know, again, that that illustrates my point. I think the the human mind, when when faced with the inexplicable, as you said, tends to revert back to uh, familiar frames of reference. A, A good example of that would be when the first conquistadores stood on the rim of Grand Canyon. Their brains were so unable to visually, you know, process the visual information that they thought the canyon was only a mile across and that the river was only 30 feet wide. They literally could not grasp the vastness of what their eyes uh, beheld. And and I think the same holds true in, in the paranormal field. I think people tend to revert to primal symbols. They tend to revert to familiar frames of references. and And that totally slews or slants uh their perceptions and you know when you talk about ray palmer and you talk about uh, some of the early uh, science fiction writers they really set in motion and set in place some very very strong symbols and images in our minds that still reverberate today and we keep repeating the same old mistakes i kind of rave about this in our weekly powercast newsletter and i never mention the newsletter It's free, so I'll mention it. We're not making any money off it. You go to newsletter.thepowercast.com, newsletter.thepowercast.com. You'll be able to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll see some past issues, get an idea of what it's all about. And basically what it is is 900 or 1,000 words of editorial. I write it. Chris has written for it. We even had a Stanton Friedman contribution way back when. And the rest just a schedule about upcoming episodes of the Powercast. Nothing special there. We're not selling very much. And I was pointing out here is that we continue to make the same mistake in the UFO field. We continue to look at the subject in the way it was observed back in 1950 by Major Donald Kehoe. Okay, E.T. is here. The government knows the truth. Let's have congressional hearings. Okay. Where did that familiar. take us? Sure, how's that grab you? Where'd that yeah. take us? It took us nowhere. We haven't picked up or learned much of anything. 
And maybe one of the things we do here in the PowerCast is to change the discussion, which is why we bring up stories about people like Ray Palmer and Richard Shaver. It's good to know where we came from to see how we can do better. Now, we've been mentioning a lot of the classic cases in the UFO field. There's always something about Roswell. Another really unusual case is the Cash-Landrum incident, which goes back to 1980. And maybe one or more of the witnesses suffered from radiation burns. It's a really fascinating case. There are possibilities there as to what the strange object or spaceship or whatever it was might have been. But we have two guests this week who've done a lot of research into it. One is Kurt Collins. Now, Kurt Collins is familiar to the people in the PowerCast forums because he's known as Sentry. And quite often, Sentry posts very intriguing questions that we ask on the show. And the other is Chris Lambright, who very recently had written a book with our friend Ray Stanford. And Chris and Ray were on the show a few months back. If you want to get in touch with us, send us a tweet. You can reach us on Twitter as the Powercast. Once again, we are the Powercast on Twitter. So we have Chris Lambright, Kurt Collins, joining Gene and Chris. And once again, you're in the Powercast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. 
What does freedom mean to you? How about the freedom to take control of your own future? At eFoods Direct, we're again celebrating Food Freedom Month in July. For every $329 you spend on our highly nutritious, great-tasting food, you will receive a $190 Patriot Pack free. For example, purchase a six-month supply and get three Patriot Packs free. The Patriot Pack is a 24-day supply of eFoods quick-fix, easy-to-store food, plus stove, fuel, and cook pot all in an easy-to-carry bucket. Patriot Packs are the ideal grab-and-go emergency kit for your car or to have by the back door. Perfect for your cabin or camping trip this summer. Or even simply to add more food to your supply, free. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex and get your free Patriot Pack with purchase. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. And remember, free shipping every day. Did you know that 50% of heart attacks are brought on by infections? Did you know that hospitals are breeding grounds for antibiotic-resistant bugs like MRSA? The environment is infected with parasites, and the mild winter means ticks with Lyme disease, mosquitoes with West Nile virus, and cold and flu viruses will be on the rise. Protect yourself with nature's natural antiparasitic, antiviral, antifungal, antibiotic, Allison, the heart of garlic. Get concentrated protection with Ali C and Aliban from Affinity Health Products. One capsule of Ali C equals 40 cloves of garlic or 100 garlic pills with no garlic breath. Aliban has Allison in spray, liquid, and cream forms with three times more strength than leading brands and costs less. Go to Ali-C.com, spelled A-L-L-I-C.com, or call 855-ALLISON. That's 855-255-4246. That's 855-255-4246. Protect yourself with Ali C and Ali Ban from Affinity Health Products at Ali-C.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. As I mentioned in the previous segment of the Paracast, we've covered a lot of the classic cases. But sometimes you think maybe we're spending too much time on, like Roswell, for example. Well, there's another case which is called by some a close encounter of the second kind because it caused physical effects. It's the Cash Landrum incident from 1980. And the reason I thought about setting up this episode is because there's been a very active discussion area or thread on the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com where people have been talking about Cash Landrum. So now we talk about an old dear friend of mine who passed on last year, Jim Mosley, in the final years of his Saucer Smear publication, he was busy reporting about cases that aren't getting a lot of attention, like the Cash Landrum case in 1980. And one of the people that he dealt with in putting information together was one of our guests today, Kurt Collins. You know him on the forums as Century. Our other guest, of course, is Chris Lambright, who's also done extensive research into Cash Landrum. Kurt, welcome to the Paracast. So did you ever expect, being a forum poster, that we'd actually ask you to be on the line and on the show? No, quite a surprise. And it, it, it's an honor, and uh, I'll try not to trip over my tongue too much. Well, only Chris and I do that. 
Okay. Well, Gene, you're the polished professional. <laughs> Listen, even the polished professionals make mistakes. Walter <laughs> Cronkite made mistakes, and that's the way it was, you know, 400 years ago. Kurt, you helped Jim Mosley research information about Cash Landrum. How did you get involved with that? Well, it, it stemmed out of a, a friendship. I was, uh, I was a saucer smear reader and was pestering him all the time with questions, writing letters, and I offered, knowing that he didn't have access to a computer, to research some different things for him. And, and the first thing he asked me about in depth was the Cash Lantern case. He was trying to get a hold of a, of a lead. Uh, Tom Adams was a researcher that had mentioned he had found an anonymous it was anonymous witness reporting testimony of anonymous witness. So it was very tough to track down information on that. But that's where it all started. And after being exposed to the history of the case, I just really became fascinated, or fair to say obsessed with it, and have been following it ever since. And it's been two and a half years now. Obsessed in what way? There are a lot of elements to this case. It is uh, the, the event itself is fascinating. The uh, investigation of the case is very interesting, and this is one of the few cases ever uh, to get a little ahead of the story that has, there's been a legal action. There was a lawsuit brought against the government in this case. So there's just, uh, this case really has everything you could want in UFOs with the exception of aliens, uh, at least the uh, the witnesses. that was there, were no, there was an abduction, and they didn't see aliens. But everything else is happening in this case, government cover-up and you name it. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Can you give us a brief summary of the actual sighting? Yes. It, um, the, um, well, we have to introduce the, the characters first. We've got Betty Cash, who owned a restaurant. She was the driver of the car. Her friend and employee, Vicki Landrum, and Vicki Landrum's grandson, Colby, who she had custody of and lived with, with her, uh, they were uh, on an outing, uh, were going to play uh, bingo. It was, uh, this is December 29th, 1980, and it was, um, this was during the Christmas holidays, so they, they couldn't find a game, decided to uh, have dinner, and then on their way home about 9 o'clock, started seeing a light move through the trees. So that caught their attention, and as they, they were driving from New Caney back home to Dayton, they were approaching the Huffman area. And this was a, a relatively deserted area, sparsely populated, few houses and trailers and things, but, you know, basically just just a wooded area. So they rounded this curve and, and entered this straight part of the highway, and they described it as if the sky had split open. There, were, there, were, there was this object, which they actually couldn't see that clearly. It was the, the flames coming down from the object and the brilliance of it. They said it looked like the sky had split open, and that um, um, they, it was such an impressive event visually that the ladies thought, Vicki Lanham in particular, thought this was a second coming. It was the end of the world. So this made a huge impression. So they were frightened. This car comes to a stop, and eventually uh, this is supposedly 130 feet away from them. Um, they... They get out of the car to take a look, and it's this is blindingly uh, oh, brilliant. The the, the flames, um, and so, so Betty Cash is standing on the driver's side. Uh, Vic, uh, Vicky Landrum's grandson 
is terrified. He's he's crying. She steps out to to look at it, but he coaxes her back in, and and he's he's pretty much terrified. So her main interest at that point is is protecting him, consoling him, and she even tells him that um, that this is that if if a man comes out, it'll be Jesus to take them. You know, this is just just so so powerful to them. Um, um, so they're back inside calling for Betty to come back in and, and we're not sure of exactly how long she's out, but it's possibly five minutes somewhere in that range. So she gets back in the car and when she touches the handle of the car, it's become hot from the presence of this object somehow. And she has to take the bottom of her leather coat to open the handle of the door. So they're sitting in there and it's, it's, incredibly hot. The uh, the object has been spewing flames down. It's been rising and falling. Let's clarify here the flames. Is this coming from the underside or just surrounding it? It is. It's coming from the underside. And they described it as making sounds like a flamethrower somewhat. It's it's unclear exactly what they heard, but there's been a roaring side sound described, and also the the craft made a beeping sound. But but of those flames, it's it was a cone of fire similar to the exhaust of a space shuttle. However, it did not seem to propel the object. So that's um, that that's mysterious. It doesn't. Uh, the other thing about it was as as it, at this point it moved off. It lifted up and moved off, but they described it as as drifting off. And, and you know, my, my description's lengthy, and we're only about a fourth of the way through the the encounter. So I don't I don't know if you want to stop here for some questions or. or well, I I have some. Uh, this is Chris O'Brien here. We'll have to do a break in a moment, Chris. So just ask the question. Okay. And Kurt yeah, will answer I was going to get you to uh, Kurt. This is Chris O'Brien here. I was going to have you uh, when we come back from the break. Go ahead and give a description of size of the craft, the shape, um, any sort of discernible, uh, you know, uh, metal or, or any sort of details that they could see on it when we get back from the break. We have Kurt Collins joining us. We have Chris Lambright. The topic of discussion is the Cash Landrum case back in 1980. And as you see, it's just getting started. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio. DreamHost.com radio. 
Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay. Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable and a whiz on the phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest independent talk radio networks in the world and we're hiring right now we offer benefits and an excellent commission structure experience preferred but we'll train the right person is that you submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com again that's advertise at gcnlive.com come work with the genesis communications network an equal opportunity employer Nutritious food is real body armor. It builds muscle, burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. Hemp USA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we're talking about the 1980 Cash Landrum UFO sighting. Kurt Collins and Chris Lambright joining us. So, Chris is 
asking a question or two to flesh out the description, Kurt? This is a rich topic in itself, and we're going to talk with um, with uh, uh, Chris Lambright at this a little bit more in a moment. What was initially reported in the newspapers, um, it was a large object, and it, in some instances, the, the women were had difficulty describing what they saw. They weren't. They didn't have a technical background. Uh, Vicky Landrum said that in the middle part of it was a half a mile across, which is obviously too large. But I think she was trying to describe the brightness of it. And so they, there was some difficulty separating the, the the illumination from the object. But it's said to have been about eighty feet tall and. Uh, we're not sure, you know, 20 to 40 feet wide and, and about uh, 80 feet up in the air. It was it was about uh, treetop level and it would come come down 20 feet or so. And, and it was kind of bobbing up and down. And it was so, so bright. Betty Cash originally said she was unable to t- determine a shape to it. And uh, only Colby Landrum, the boy who stayed in the car for the majority of the signing, he was looking through the the windshield of the car, and you know possibly the refraction gave him a better view. But he was the one that said it was specifically diamond shaped. Uh, and well, that that's the description, and we'll we'll come back to that later. But uh, do you want me to continue with that with their their journey? Sure, go ahead. Okay, from this point, it leaves, and the uh, they Betty starts the car again. They drive down the road, and you know they're relieved. It's over, uh, and at this point. There's this is another confusing element. Colby, that he was seven years old at the time, said that he saw helicopters at at this time, and at at the next stop, they they saw the object again, and they saw some some lights in the sky. And initially, they couldn't tell this they were still so far off whether these were planes or helicopters. They stopped, and things moved closer to them, particularly one of the helicopters they were able to see, and they had two rotors on top, which were later identified as a Chinook CH-47 helicopter. came so close that the roar of it terrified them, and um, apparently they could they could see some details, but uh, they were able to, to sketch that later. And when that moved off, they, they've stopped, um, I think, total three times. And it, at the, the the place they initially reported was on the stop sign outside of Huffman on the close to the highway back to Dayton. And at that point, they counted uh, 23 helicopters. And as they left, headed uh, uh, east to Dayton, they were able to, to see behind them the object and the helicopters for some time and said that there were additional helicopters coming. So um, the... Uh, uh, then on the, on the drive home, they began to have symptoms, headaches, and uh, well, we better stop there because that that gets into another category of the, the medical injuries. This is the aftermath, right? Okay, so let's wrap up the description of the case, the sighting, and then we'll go there. After that, uh, it was pretty much just a, a drive home, and they said they, they they could see it for some portion of the drive home. So, uh, and the. Uh, Oh, I missed uh, something about the flight characteristic. When the the suggestion is that when they saw the light initially, this object was flying parallel to the ground, and it was only when it came down over the road that it was upright, like a um, a spindle. And 
And when it's been described as a diamond shape, this is like a diamond on a playing card, not like a diamond ring. So it was, uh, it was supposedly rounded, a rounded diamond. And then when it resumed flight, it, it seemed to, um, from the distance, it looked like a ball of light, and uh, it had pitched over and probably re- regained that uh, horizontal flight. Chris Lambright, anything you want to add to the description of the basic site before we go on? I think Kurt's got it right. The only thing that I would agree with that's confused a little bit uh, or that's confusing is the exact dimensions. Um, She described at one point as about the size of the Dayton water tower. Nobody ever took a picture of the Dayton water tower that I know of. She did mention that, I think, in her interview um, at Bergstrom Air Force Base, but Later on, there's some indication that they're talking about the top of the tower. Using a little bit of deductive reasoning, when I drove down there and after speaking with, uh, especially with Vicki Landrum at good length, the object came in over the treetops, but somehow was able to at least lower itself enough between the trees to avoid burning the trees up and and kind of stay over the the roadway, so to speak. So there was basically purpose in the way it was flying. If you get my connection here, it was showing a purpose and a caution in flying that way. This, this is Kurt. I'm, I'm not prepared to go that far. And I want to say at this point that the witnesses never wanted to call this a UFO. And when they saw that, the helicopters, that made them think that this was a military project. Um, and, would- and one interesting thing about it, so many UFO witnesses even if it turns out later that they've seen the lights of a plane, so often attribute characteristics and behaviors to the UFO as if it's interacting with them. And these witnesses never seem to do that. And if anything, they put that kind of behavior and connection on the on the flight of the helicopters. So, so that's, to me, it somehow is a detail that makes it seem all the more genuine. That they didn't, they didn't want to say what this was. They didn't know. It was just an unknown. They reached no conclusions as to intent, motive, or even the exactly. origin. And it could have been, as you say, a test aircraft, and maybe that's something we should deal with as we progress. Oh, that's a very important element of the case. Um, and uh, I'm going to uh, let's let's get back to. Um, what Chris was describing in his in his visit, because I think this is this is very important. Um, as the case, let me tell you a little bit about the way the case developed. I guess we need to continue chronologically with uh, with the injuries, and we're going to have to revisit revisit elements of this because there's several important and controversial parts of this story. Um. um so the ladies go home. Uh, Betty Cash drops them off. Usually she would have visited, uh, but instead they're, they're feeling sick. So uh, Vicky and Colby go in, and, and as night progresses, uh, Colby throws up and has a bout of diarrhea, and, and and it's reported that their their skin was red as if they'd been out on the beach, you know, bright red sunburn. Um, so they're not feeling well. And then uh, when Betty returns home, she had... Uh, uh, a friend and her kids had uh, stayed over. Um, she she meets them and talks about how bad she's feeling, and um, goes to bed. and And 
she has uh, these knot-like boils appear on her on her skin, and she has this this horrible headache and 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 these other flu-like symptoms. And this becomes so bad over the next few days, she has to be hospitalized. And uh, she said that when she was admitted to the hospital, they asked her if uh, she was a burn patient, and, and she had no idea that radiation. Uh, could cause burns, and so she told him no. And the the other part of this stage, on the drive home, the thing was so strange. For whatever reason, they thought people wouldn't believe them, so they agreed not to tell anyone. So um, the cause was a mystery. She didn't tell her doctor for some time, and it was she she improved somewhat over the next couple of weeks. They did test on her. Um, she she goes home for a few days and has to come back. And at this point, the doctors are perplexed. The um, uh, Colby Lanham is there uh, when uh, Vicki Lanham is visiting and, and the doctor is, you know, expressing his frustration. And he says, well, I know what, I know what caused it. It was the, the UFO. And so that opens up a whole new discussion. And we'll have another new discussion coming right up because we got to take this break. We have Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins with Gene and Chris in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Stop wasting countless hours scouring the web for survival gear when you can visit GearUpCenter.com. We specialize in the latest, most innovative products you can't find anywhere else. Products like the Crowville Multi-Tool, Aquaponics Systems, and our fully loaded Bug-Out Survival Trailer. Tim Ralston here. I created GearUpCenter to bring you the latest quality-tested survival gear at the best price. Be sure to catch me again next season on National Geographic's Doomsday Prepper, where I'll be demonstrating my new Excalibur shotgun adapter system. Get the gear your life can depend on at GearUpCenter.com. And remember, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Ceramic Body Armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike Ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel Body Armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So with Kurt Collins and Chris Lambright, we're fleshing out the details of the 1980 Cash Landrum UFO encounter, where we have a witness who may have received radiation burns, was it, Kurt? The, the symptoms when... Betty Cash re-entered the hospital. She had hair loss, so she had what appeared to be uh, burns, loss of hair, uh, vomiting, diarrhea. These closely resembled radiation exposure symptoms. They, they were at a loss. There were some tests, um, some of which were the blood test was normal. Uh, and we, this is a this is an extremely controversial area of the case because the medical records have not been released because, oh, there's several reasons. One one reason cited was when they did make the legal case, they wanted to protect this as evidence in, in the legal trial. The other was cited was the privacy of the, the witnesses. And, um, well, I'm, I'm trying to run it too far ahead here, but uh, so, so she's treated, she eventually gets out, and... They're at a loss to what, what to do. She's mounted these enormous medical bills, and they're trying to get help and get answers as to as to what they've seen, what caused it, and you know if um, who might be responsible. They uh, the, there's several calls made. Uh, Vicki Landrum calls Robert Gribble of uh, the National UFO Reporting Center. Uh, she had uh, talked to her um, uh, the sheriff of Dayton. 
and he uh, he found found the number and I probably out of desperation more than anything else she calls the number reports it and he in turn uh, turns it into APRO and that's the first contact with the UFO community now APRO then, is the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization it was an Arizona based UFO group headed by Jim and Carl <clears throat> Lorenzen I just want to give that background as we continue Kurt from there the case takes one of its many strange turns. The information is intercepted by Bill English, who is a UFO uh, investigator of some controversy himself. In those days, the UFO organizations had a relationship with tabloid press. There was a panel of experts on the National Enquirer, and they reviewed cases. There was a bonus for best case of the year and this sort of thing. And also, the... Uh, the inquirer would pay the tabloid papers would pay tips for UFO cases. Well, he, for whatever reason, saw this as an opportunity and turned this into the Weekly World News. And they were the first ones to get a hold of the story. And and it's unclear as to whether or not they sent a reporter or if this was you know, secondhand. But there were photographs taken of the witnesses, and and the the hair loss of Betty Cash is clearly clearly visible in the photos. You know, I can just think as you talk, Kurt, that a publication like that would say, burned by a hostile UFO or something. Almost exactly what they said. Three three burned by UFO, although the cover photo showed three celebrities from WKRP in Cincinnati, so you might think (laughs) that they were the ones injured. So, strangely enough, although there was some sensational language, it seems to have been a fairly accurate... uh, coverage of the events that the the story is is still online if you look in, in google books and all all the all the major elements are there you know further details will reveal later but the, the basics are all there so you know for for a tabloid you know really good coverage on the story um the problem the, being uh, that it's in a tabloid nobody takes it seriously exactly and and that's one of the puzzling things too is that since since there was a relationship between the, the the UFO groups and the tabloids, you know were they compromising their credibility? But that's I guess that's an aside. That's not our crucial issue here. We could do a whole show on that one. <laughs> Don't forget, at the time, uh, Bob Pratt was, I think, um, kind of leading the Inquirer's uh, field investigations of the paranormal and UFO events, and up. To that point, he had done some very, very good work around Dulce with the Gomez cattle mutilation cases and others. So even though the tabloids aren't well considered, at the, at that time in the 70s uh, into the early 80s, they actually did do some very serious uh, reporting on these subjects. Uh, Chris, while you're talking, I, I want you to step in here because part of the, the appeal and the mystery of this is the presence of the helicopters. And I know in, in your book, uh, Secrets of Mysterious Valley, you, you discuss this at some length. So can you give us some some background in the, the 70s about the helicopters that were appearing? Well, yeah, you mentioned Tom Adams. Uh, Tom was one of my early sort of uh, mentors when I got involved in, in investigating uh, cases uh, in the San Luis Valley. And Tom had compiled... Uh, by 1993, he had put together uh, over 200 uh, really well-documented uh, case reports of helicopters seen in and around uh, cattle mutilation sites. So uh, it was titled The Choppers and the Choppers. Um, like Ray Stanford, he had a, 
a strange sense uh, when it came to book titles. Um, but, but leaving that aside, I think uh, what really has always puzzled me about this particular case is the claim of, of over two squadrons worth or t- 23 uh, Chinook helicopters. Now, I, I think, I'm not sure who it was. It may have been Tom Adams did some research uh, into that. And uh, he could find no evidence uh, that indicated that any squadrons of Chinooks uh, had joined together at that particular on that night for any sort of maneuvers. And there's been quite a bit of controversy over the years of a whether the number that uh, cited by the witnesses was accurate and b whether uh there was some sort of secret uh, maneuvers going on that uh the military did not fess up on either of you guys have any comments about that particular aspect of the case i can i can tell you one thing that i has puzzled me for years and actually when i was reviewing the information for this case i found a reply that i got from the army i looked into because the only place anywhere nearby that close enough to get there in time was fort hood fort hood apparently the army was the only one that was known to have to use the double rotor chinooks but of course there seemed to be a lack of any information about flights that you know the time of year philip class made the big argument that you couldn't get them out but i wrote to fort hood and in the reply that i got was the statement that they had a flight of helicopters that evening that came in and this is in quotes for effect no explanation what that means although to me, that means there were some helicopters flying that night that came in for whatever this term for effect was. The reply that I found after I wrote them again, and I, I had asked you know, the next person on the FOIA receiving end what exactly for effect means, and she simply wrote back and said, we don't have any explanation for what the term for effect means, and I could never get any more out of it. So basically, Chris, they use words that they don't understand in terms of meaning, yeah, they just invent the words. They just pull them out of whole cloth. Yeah, but what I was, what I got out of it was, wait a minute. They just acknowledged that they had helicopters that were flying around that night, and they acknowledged that the helicopters that were flying, because when I wrote, I specifically would have written about Chinooks flying around that evening and Fort Hood being the only place that had, I think there were 24 in their flight or squadron, whatever they called it. And for them to write me back and say they had a flight that came in that evening for effect. A very obscure, innocuous term, and I could never get how, any how more. How far out. away is Fort Hood from uh, from the Land- Cash Landrum site? Uh, as the crow flies, I think we estimated you might be able to get there forty five minutes to an hour. My belief has always that for it to arrive at the time the ladies were there, they had to be flying already. They had to be somewhere in transit or something else, uh, somewhere else to have arrived right at the moment when this thing came down where it did. And um, apparently those weren't the only helicopters because even I was watching a little bit of a videotape interview I did with Vicki and uh, she mentions as well that there were other single rotor helicopters. They weren't small ones, whether they were the, the Huey variety or something larger like the Navy might fly. But at one point when they were closer to home, apparently there were still some other helicopters coming in from the east. And in the video, she she was a little reluctant to make to, to mention some of the information that that they were on to. But she m- kept making this comment about a place called Morgan City, which I think is Morgan City, Louisiana. I've never been able to, d- to know what it was. And you can see on the tape, she kind of smiles and mentions Morgan City and won't say any more. So they apparently had some suspicions that there were other places that there may have been helicopters. But she was adamant that besides the Chinooks that were already around the object right after they had kind of moved on down the road, 
there were still some others that had been coming in from the Dayton side, more to the east side. Well, Kurt mentioned something that the doctor asked uh, when they wouldn't fess up of how they got the uh, the burns and, and what appeared to be radiation poisoning type symptoms. He mentioned, oh, this must have been the UFO. Now, you, you never really went in, into more detail about how, why he said that. As a, as a kind of a second question here, uh, I'm wondering how many additional uh, witnesses do we have that were not involved in uh, with the three primary witnesses? And we'll have that answer in our next segment. We have Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and body extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for long and healthy life. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The subject of discussion, the Cash Landrum case in Texas in December of 1980. And two questions on the table from Chris O'Brien of our guests, Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins. Number one, of course, other witnesses other than the basic three. And two, a strange comment from the examining doctor. Well, first of all, I want to say that I've I've blown the telling the story chronologically so bad, and I hope anyone that has any interest in UFOs at all will do some reading on this case because it's a, you know, there's so many things that we're, 
we're going to skip over and and just can't cover in detail. But but as far as the doctor, that's that's a very interesting part because it, that was a, a cardiologist, Doctor V. B. Shinoy. When he hears about the UFO, he discusses with his other colleagues, and there's a Dr. Howard Sussman. He happens to be a UFO researcher himself. He's a member of APRA and probably some other UFO organizations. He's familiar with the lore. He knows that there have been stories of UFO burns apparently producing radiation and causing causing similar problems. So he gives the, the doctors some ideas that this could be the cause, and he also talks to a, a a friend and colleague he is in the Houston area, John F. Schusler. That's when uh, John Schusler, who was an um, uh, engineer for uh, McDonnell Douglas, a contractor working at NASA's uh, Johnson Space Center. So this is a he he's a, a deputy director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which was uh, I, I guess and you mentioned we were talking about APRO earlier. APRO apparently had a uh, separation of ranks, and, and there was a disagreement over policy. And That's these, the way uh, the UFO field is, by the way. These organizations have policy disagreements, and they split apart, and they create new organizations. And that was, that was MUFON. So John Trussell was very active in that, and he, um, at some point, he receives word separately from APRO about this case because they're, um, they're unable due to the distance involved to, to track the case down. He's, he lives in Houston, which is just a short distance away from things happen. This is in his backyard. So he begins investigating the case. We're going to come back to that. Now, what, what, was, it, what was our other question? I forgot. It was about the... Other witnesses. Well, well additional witnesses. Uh, did uh, Gribble get any reports at the National UFO Center, MUFON, APRO? Did anybody else see this? Because a, a sighting of, of this magnitude, um, such a low-level sighting of such a large object with shooting out flames accompanied by several, possibly several squadrons of helicopters, you would think that you would generate uh, more than just uh, the primary witness reports. That's right. In, in that weekly world... Weekly World News story: There were there were three witnesses who were quoted, and then seemed to disappear from the UFO record. It was uh, Nellie Zedek, her son John, and his wife Tony. They saw a diamond-shaped, bright object, uh, but no helicopters. And unfortunately, there's no other detailed report on them. And as far as I know. Not, nothing else. After the story broke, there were, I'm trying to quote here, there were pleas in the media for additional witnesses. And, so, and that's troublesome to me because that almost seems like they're saying, you know, please help the victims of this accident. Won't you come forward? They were recruiting, you could say, witnesses. And they did receive a response. But this, this signing occurred closely the International Airport there in Houston, about 15 miles away from it. And if this, uh, you would think things could be seen from there, but apparently there's there's no record of radar seeing the uh, event or the helicopters. Um, but, you know, three three counties there that potentially to draw from, and no one independently reported it. But afterwards, there was a, there was a policeman who said that he saw something later the same night uh, but he saw only helicopters, and you know, nine to twelve maybe. 
they described a similar models and they were they were searching the fields for something. Uh, other people said that they saw them, but uh, there was there was not an exact match for the UFO. One one report said that he saw a, a uh, UFO the size of a football field. I think it was rectangular, and he saw aliens inside with Roman noses. And it just it seemed so fantastic and so unlike what they had reported. You just have to wonder if that wasn't more origin of fantasy. But there there was one good one though. But again, it was a different UFO. It was a triangular shaped object. This was a uh, uh, Jerry McDonald. He saw the UFO about I think his, his was maybe closer to eight in the evening, and their sighting was at nine. And he saw it flying over the city of Dayton. He saw a triangular UFO with several lights on it. And when he first looked up, he thought it was the Goodyear blimp, which Houston did have a Goodyear blimp flying at the time, but not that night. And uh, so there were some UFO reports. There were some helicopter reports, but no one saw helicopters and UFOs. Chris Lambright, you want to expand on that before we go on? Well, he's absolutely absolutely correct. I mean, that's the good thing about someone like Kurt, who's been really focusing on this for the last two years, is he's fresh on many of the details, if not most of them. What he described about the police officer who said he saw the helicopters and the other witnesses, in particular the triangular shape, is absolutely correct. But even even Vicky made clear that they didn't have anybody who saw the helicopters and the UFOs themselves. The only aspect of the triangular part of it that I'm on the fence about as far as potentially being correct is because one of the things that I realized in doing the illustration I did was depending on how dark it was that night and if there was, let's say, the flame was coming out of only one end and reflecting just off of one end of a diamond-shaped object, you might, depending on the distance, really only notice that end, which would potentially leave it looking kind of triangular. The other side would basically be pitch black. You wouldn't even see it. I mean, that's hypothetical or a conjecture, but um, but no, Kurt's, Kurt's doing a bang-up job of the details. I was going to say, at, at this point in the story that the, the UFO investigation really began, uh, John Schusler led a team called Project Visit, and it was usually mostly by his colleagues uh, there at the Johnson Space Center. I mean, these were engineers. These were guys that should be building UFOs and spacecraft. You know, they were. He was, and most of them were involved in the space shuttle program, which, by the way, you know, remember this is 1980. It was it was just right during that same time that the space shuttle first launched. So there were a lot of space developments. Um, and um, so these guys were probably pretty busy in their day jobs, which is is kind of interesting. But so, so on their evenings and weekends, they were looking into this case. Uh, John Schusler met Betty Cash. He saw her injuries. He took photographs of, of her hair loss. Uh, she told him the story. And he, um, when he first talked to her on the phone, you know, he was concerned, you know, because he didn't put two and two together. This was the woman that his friend, uh, Dr. Sussman, had talked about. But, you know, eventually he makes a connection. He, um She's, um, you know, she's still weak from uh, her problems, medical problems. And um, he examines the car with a Geiger counter and apparently doesn't doesn't show anything. I think he's got a compass and it doesn't show magnetic effects. Um, but one strange thing was, and one of the many details I've overlooked, was that when um, 
exactly when this happened during the signing, we're not, we're not sure. But Vicki Landrum reached forward, and the heat had caused the dashboard to be so soft. Her uh, the fingerprints, or not fingerprints, but the impression of her fingers were molded into the dashboard. And this, the um, remember, this is Houston. The summers get very hot there. Cars are built with withstand this this normal heat. So this is one strange thing. Whether it's an anomaly, can't say. But that was that was one detail of the case. The ladies in particular it, it impressed them because that was a that was a lasting visible reminder of, of the uh, of the encounter. This is the Cash Landrum encounter. We're talking about it on. Our show this week with Kurt Collins and Chris Lambright. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold. If you listen to the radio, watch TV, or surf the net, you're hearing about gold. Eventually you will ask yourself, is gold right for me? The answer might surprise you. We protect ourselves and our families from many things. Do you have medical insurance? Is your home insured? Do you carry life insurance? How about financial insurance? If you own gold, then the answer is yes. If you don't own gold, the question is why don't you have financial insurance? We put our faith in things we trust. Do you trust the dollar? Do you trust the economy? Do you trust the government? Gold has always been something you can trust. For thousands of years, people have put their faith in gold. Where will you put your faith? Now is the time to protect yourself and your family. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. And ask for Jim Parker. Let me help you get started today. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX 
or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption, of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Our guests are Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins, both of whom have done extensive investigations into the Cash Landrum case. So, you know, I'm, when I'm thinking of the scene of embedding handprints or anything into a car, it's almost like the scene in Man of Steel, the new Superman reboot, where the kids in school are taunting Clark Kent, who's afraid to fight back because he's Superman. He's the young Superman. And he puts his hand on this fence, this metal fence. You can see where he's just embedded it because of his strength. I don't know if the impression was that strong, but you know, nevertheless, it was it was still there uh, years later. And, and Betty Cash owned that car for years. And, and getting back to the car, that's neither of these ladies were were wealthy, so she couldn't afford to say, "Hey, here, take my car and examine it." She had to drive it. So uh, that's that's one of the bad things is that maybe the examination of the car, if it were treated as evidence that it would it would yielded something. So nobody took a Geiger counter to that car to see what's yeah, going John on. Yeah, John Schuster did. But that was the extent of it. There yeah. were no further there were no further tests that we know <laughs> of. I think there was I, I have read that he there was a piece of uh, plastic on the dashboard that he uh that he examined, but apparently nothing was found because nothing was ever ever published about that. So basically but, the car itself there were no, at least on the surface, symptoms of anything really weird other than this? Some, but not extraordinary. Uh, Betty claimed that the car ran roughly after the encounter. Another thing, another effect is, and this is one of the things that we don't know if this is from uh, bad reporting or just how this happened, but the, as the initial report was written, they said that, that Betty turned the ignition off of the car. Well, when she... I don't know if she actually said that or if that was assumed and that was written it written that way. And when she talked to uh, another UFO investigator, Alan Hendry, who was at the Center for UFO uh, Studies, she specifically said that she had not turned the car off and that it, had, that it had stalled when the UFO was present. And if you remember the scene in Close Encounters where the UFO stops the car, that's based on other UFO cases, and you know that's been that's been reported before. 
Another element that has always puzzled me uh, was brought out by the television show Sightings, I believe, or Unsolved Mysteries uh, years ago when they covered uh, this particular case. That, what, about a 100-foot stretch of road was fairly uh, shortly thereafter repaved, correct? It was torn up and uh, and repaved. Was that a detail I'm remembering correctly? Chris spoke uh, directly with Vicki Landrum about this, and uh, I'd, I'd like for him to... Uh to describe what she told him. Great, great. Yes, in fact, it's kind of back in my memory because I was watching a little of her videotape talking about this last night, that apparently shortly thereafter, she got some calls from people who lived in that area. And um, to kind of refresh this, uh, the whole story, at the time, this was a narrow little blacktop road. I mean, nothing fancy, just a little, you could barely get two cars to go past on this perfectly straight stretch of road between very, very tall pine trees. And she's reiterated, there were a couple of trailers maybe, you know, up and down that stretch, nothing right there, but basically there were no houses or anything. It was a fairly deserted stretch. And shortly after the incident, she's got calls from people who said they're tearing up the road. And she said, someone came out and I think it was, she said it was within a week or a matter of days, came out, chopped up that section of the road, hauled it off in covered trucks and laid the you know, report the asphalt. She then said, apparently that bit of asphalt turned mushy, I think was the term she used. And they came back, cut it up again and redid it. And I believe it was at this time that she says they laid about a hundred foot stretch of concrete because she said for a while, you could tell you drive down the road and all of a sudden turn white for that stretch right where this event occurred according to her and she said there were for a year she could go, go right by there and know exactly where you know where the event occurred then ultimately at about the time that there was a small store that started up so that was kind of a landmark that she used to kind of remember about where the event occurred about that time they came back and apparently then just re-blacktopped the entire stretch so the, apparently the concrete was was not obvious any longer apparently right after within a matter of days or a week or so after the event somebody came in in trucks covered trucks chopped up that part of the road, hauled it off, and subsequently went back, hauled off what they had done, redid it again, and poured concrete over that stretch, and then a third time, blacked off the whole thing. So by the time I was down there in 1985, it was a very nice, smooth, well-done road, nice white lines on both sides, you know, the whole nine yards. But, um, but yes, it was very clear to her, and one of the points she made very obvious that somebody came in pretty quickly after the event and cut up that part of the road where the event occurred. Chris, were you able to get any information about highway department projects as to why they might have done this thing, some kind of official explanation? I wasn't, but it's funny you mentioned that. I had a young man who was a friend at the time who, right in this time period of 85, when I was interested in this, and for some reason, just on his own, one day he told me he had started calling around to see if he could find out who had done this. Apparently, there were no real records on, on who did it, but he told me he talked to somebody who used the word boron. I don't know whether that's a normal something that's mixed in with highway or concrete or whatnot, but that there was some boron in a part of the road that was put there. Um, And I'll mention this, even though I do want to qualify it by saying this is, I guess you would say hearsay, something that I even had stumbled across on, uh, I don't know if it was UFO updates or one of the above, above top secret sites, where someone had written in his own, he said, I just want to give you my own testimony. You can find it if you look for it, and I, I don't know any more than that, but it, when I read it, my gut instinct was, it sounds extremely believable. 
a gentleman who said he and a friend of his were driving down that road one night, and it wasn't until later on when he read about the incident of the, the women's uh, experience that it dawned on him that this would have been about that time. He was driving down that stretch of road one night, and suddenly the whole road was blocked with sawhorses both ways. He said at first they thought it would have been an accident, but it was unusual on that road to block both directions. And he said there was a crew out there with a backhoe digging up the road. They could smell the smell of uh, creosote asphalt, and they just had a light in the trees. Nothing. The men working were not marked in you know anything like road course who would be doing road construction in the middle of the night that was the point it was in the middle of the night and they had both directions both lanes blocked and they had to turn around and go back the other direction but apparently he remembered that after reading about the cash landrum case as something that he thought was very unusual why in the middle of the night why would construction crew that but he was just giving his own testimony so if uh if he was available to be <laughs> for anybody to talk to him if someone could find out who he was it would be Really interesting to know if he could and his friend would both verify that. I have another question here real quick. John Schusler, you, you know, was a top scientist and, and you know, I've known John for many years. Um, he's retired now, but I'm wondering if he made any effort to go out and actually do radiation uh, readings at the site and possibly test some of the trees that were obviously, if, if you're going to be, uh, you know, heating up an environment, you're going to have some some sort of uh, effect shown in the uh, in the foliage of the trees and and grasses and that sort of thing. Do you know of anybody that did any sort of field site investigation of of the Cash Landrum case? We'll have that answer in our next segment with Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870 870- 
784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you. Has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day, unique affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. 866-229-0927. Or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. UtopiaSilver.com believes, as the Declaration of Independence states, that our rights come from God, not from government. The only lawful purpose of any government is to protect and secure the rights of the people, and no man or government has the authority to take what has been given to us by God. Among these rights are life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. And America's government has ceased to be the protector of liberty and of the people's God-given rights. But we the people can return America to greatness if we are willing to stand up and reassert our stolen rights. We ask that you join Utopia Silver in changing America's course in history. To save on health care and improve your health, call Utopia Silver at 888-213-4338. For a limited time, new customers will receive 50% off all colloidal silver and colloidal gold supplements. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With two Chris's, I remember the last time we had the situation, Mr. O'Brien, we gave you a different name. We'll call you Trickster today, okay? Is that okay? <laughs> I think we called me uh, KK last time. My, right, KK. My, my true, uh, Kim Keegan Barnes is the name I was born with, so you can call me KK. Okay, the trickster KK. thing will drive the forum posters nuts. They, I don't think they, <laughs> they'll be able to handle it. Okay, we have KK with Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins, and KK had asked a question just before our break, which we'll hear the answer to right now. Well, we need to acknowledge the work that, that, uh, that John Schusler did in this case. Now, uh, initially, he's investigating this uh, with a team of, of of his project visits, his squad, and these are all highly trained people. So they, they're interviewing the witnesses, they take Vicki Lander to the scene, and they determined, um, they, they found the location, measured the distance, and um, it took a Geiger counter, which apparently didn't didn't find anything. So there was there was some initial testing of the scene. There was there are photographs. There are no close up photographs of the road that I've been able to find. But there's there's a road sign, and then uh, a team member Alan Holt is in the distance to to, in, to indicate the position from the car to the, where the UFO was spotted, and they're the ones that that helped get the word out to the media to get some coverage to to try to get some help for the 
uh, attention for the witnesses and some help for them. And the uh, the helicopter and the UFO witnesses came forward as a result of this. The um, one of one of the key things at this point was that through his network of contacts in MUFON, John Schusler sent a copy of the medical records that were available to Dr. Peter Rank, who was a MUFON uh, member, and he's a, a radiologist at, I think it was the University of Wisconsin. Without examining the witnesses, uh, looking only at the photographs and, and medical records, he it was his opinion that they were exposed to radiation. The, 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 the available information from the the, the doctors at Parkway Hospital listed the symptoms, and they couldn't say, okay, well, this is from, I'm just making something up, leukemia. There wasn't a, a, just one medical condition that caused it. The problem with the radiation was if it was ionizing radiation, like from a nuclear weapon or you know shielding that was bad, that to cause the symptoms, it should have instantly killed them or shortly thereafter. Some of the symptoms, like the uh, Vicky Lanham had eye problems, but I think they all did to some extent as a result of the either the bright light or the radiation. That uh, that was more characteristic of, of something else, and some of the characteristics reflected what would have been caused by microwave radiation. So there was no easy answer for what caused their problem, and it was almost as if you, you had to have some multi radiation emitting source. So that was that was quite puzzling. And with um the the controversy that developed was since those medical records weren't released, it couldn't be proved that there was a one for one correlation between the injuries and the UFO sighting. I'll tell you something that I thought was really nicely coincidental or at least unusual is about six months before this event, in the May of 1980 MUFON Journal, was an article written by Richard Nimsow and John Schuster called Evaluation of Medical Injuries Resulting from UFO Close Encounters. And in the first paragraph, they almost cite line by line the exact symptoms that, uh, that these ladies experienced, starting with, uh, let's see, nausea, vomiting, headache, blindness, perception of odors. And then they go into more chronic effects skin lesions, pathology through unknown mechanisms, skin lesions which previously were described as burns produced by ionizing radiation do not compare clinically as we know it, on and on and on. A very short article, but I thought, well, it was mighty timely that about six months later, or whenever he found out about it, that a case came up that exhibited almost exactly what they were citing. I don't want to be too skeptical, but it's almost as if they were waiting for this to happen. You know, I'm interested here in, in the other possibility that I raised earlier. I mean, it sounds like a pretty strange aircraft when you hear the description. But is there any possibility at all? And either of you can answer this or both of you separately or together in unison. Any possibility this was a test aircraft of some kind? Yes. Yes, but we're not going to go there directly. We well, There's some <laughs> things we have to say about the investigation. John Schusler, uh took um, information from the witnesses, descriptions. Vicky was even hypnotized, and so all the details didn't come out at once. And uh, one of the things uh, Colby had done was he, he attempted to draw the scene. Now, he wasn't much of an artist, but he, um, and, and there's parts of this I really need to let Chris tell, but he developed a picture of the UFO 
and a description, he said that the center of it was framed with blue light and that the craft was uh, glowing. And now's the time in the story, and we're going to come back to the secret craft where, where Chris describes how uh, he was attempting to do a painting, of, an accurate painting of the UFO. Well, yeah, actually, at the time that, I don't know if any of you have seen this painting I did of the Socorro object, back in the day, I had hoped to do a number of them. This was when I was an investigator for the Center for UFO Studies, and I'd even talked to Dr. Heineck about this. But the point was getting the exact description so that I wasn't misleading anyone made this thing just, it was going to take too much time. But the third one that I had worked on was the Cash Landrum object. And when I went down to talk to Vicky, I actually brought my initial you know, workup with me um, and showed it to her to just get an idea from her whether she thought it was about the right shape or you know whatnot. And one of the immediate things she mentioned was there were no blue lights around the middle of it, which threw me for a loop. And I asked her, I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I, a lot of this information I've gotten from the articles and the illustrations that John has produced. And she didn't know where I said, well, John's one of the articles that he's published, I think his wife or daughter had done an illustration of it and, uh, you know, had these blue lights on it. And Vicky was the one who first mentioned, wait a minute, he must have got that from Colby's light bright board. And interestingly enough, I sent Kurt some information the other day, some excerpts from one of the conversations that Vicky had in which she described how all of this was worked out. And Colby had apparently been traumatized and had started going through those old big chief drawing pads just drawing and drawing and drawing. And even Betty, I think, had mentioned in, that uh, Vicky was spending a lot of money buying those notepads, and ultimately they just bought a little electronic light bright board. And somewhere along the way, it was apparently Colby, who had just been putting in the little lights, you know, making his only a child's little illustration. Apparently, according to the ladies, that had been what John kind of based his illustrations on to uh, to present this idea of this glowing object with what obviously definitely looked like something out of the movie Close Encounters, and these little blue lights around the middle, when in fact, as Vicky uh, told me, if you know, the thing was very, very dark, and if it hadn't been for the flames, they may have just driven right under it, not even seen it. So the illustrations that are accompanying the articles, and even if you go back to, his, I guess, in mid-1981, that soon after the event, this picture's already being presented of an object that's not at all what the act, other than the diamond shaped and the flames, the object was not glowing from any information I've been able to find, and that Kurt can maybe tell you differently, but everything seems to be that the light, the flames, were the only real source of light. There was no other markings or any lights or anything on the object. See, this is remarkable to me because there are two major characteristics of the UFO that are blown somehow by the chief investigator. So it's, um, I don't know if you remember in the, the, uh, the Beltway Sniper case, someone said that they were spotted a white van, and the whole concentration was chasing after this imaginary white van that had nothing whatsoever to do with the case. And, and in this in this instance, we're given this description of something that, with the blue lights, it sounds more like a, a, a spacecraft, and it's getting in the way of us finding what was actually there and what it might have been. I'll tell you what, we got to find out what this is going to be in a moment. We have Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins with Gene and KK. You're in <laughs> the Paracast.
GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeant e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker to thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123freeseeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123freeseeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123freeseeds.com. Pharmacist Ben Fuchs believes virtually all disease states can be backtracked to digestive problems. Deficiencies in stomach acid can affect all downstream systems. Taking digestive enzymes can be amazingly helpful for dealing with deficiencies in stomach acid. Enzymes require low pH for activation. You can also use aloe vera juice, by the way. Sugars in aloe vera have a coating effect on the digestive system. Longevity has a cool product called Noni Plus, which is made from aloe and the noni fruit. It's tasty. It can also function to support digestive acidification, acidification of the stomach, and activation of digestive enzymes. Take pharmacist Ben's advice and support your digestive system by ordering Noni Plus from Longevity. Call 866-735-2470. 
That's 866-735-2470 or on the web at brightsideben.com. That's brightsideben.com. Order today. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We might officially call this the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and KK. Just make it permanent. Confuse everybody out there. Kurt Collins and Chris Lambright joining us. We're talking about the Cash Landrum case. Guys, a lot more to cover, so let's go for it. Okay. We were talking about April earlier. Well, there was a, besides animosity that already existed, April started questioning the methods and sources and the medical history. And whatever John Schuessler was doing, this caused him to get into a distracting feud and possibly to guard that information more carefully. And when when other people, like even a former member of his, his visit team, uh, well, I'm having trouble pronouncing, the Dr. Neemsau that uh, Chris mentioned earlier, he had uh, joined the Air Force. He was denied access to the records, a you know, former partner. The, you know, Phil Class wanted the records, and it's understandable why he wasn't given access to that. But APRO was shut out, and, and several other people were. And they and it was Ambrose's position, getting back to Gene's question earlier, that it was a test of a secret aircraft. And apparently the version of that story may have originated or at least been circulated by uh, the infamous um, uh, Moore later. Well, um, he, he pops up in all the uh, most curious places, doesn't he? It, well, it was in the 80s, so, you know, this, this run smacked through this. You know, if I can interject one thing, just and maybe this is in some deference to uh, whoever got the case first, I went was looking through all of the old MUFON journals last night, and I have one sitting right in front of me here. The first article that I could find in the MUFON journal that mentions this case was the April of 1981, was an article April by Richard Hall. Not John Schusler. John Schusler's, I think, came back came later in August or sometime. But even in this original little one-page kind of a synopsis, where it talks about the radiant heat and radiant injury, he says he's were watching a luminous object hover low over the road ahead of their car, and it does indicate that by this time Schusler's investigating. But it says a luminous, fiery-looking object descended to treetop level, and mentions the beeping and specifies then from its underside flames were emitted. But there's a tiny sketch with it that has a dotted line over the top showing, saying glow. Does not have anything indicating lights across the middle, but it does seem to suggest that the object was glowing. But I was simply making the point that for whatever reason, Richard Hall seemed to have written the first short article outlining this case before even John's article about the injuries appeared a few months later. You're absolutely right about it. There's a reason for that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make this too long of a history lesson, but the Schuessler report, it made a very quick, I think it was by March 2nd, and he, he first met the uh, the witnesses. He met Betty Cash uh, February the 2nd. The next week, met uh, Vicki Landrum, investigated the scene, and then just a few days later, March 2nd, did his initial report, and, and, and Richard Hall summarized that. And then it was a long gap between the time 
where John Schuessler himself published anything. But he did uh, appear that fall at a, I think it was the second uh, Center for UFO Studies symposium, and he gave a presentation on the case then. And then it was after that, MUFON published an article, and I think it was reprinted in a UFO magazine also. So uh, it could be, I, I want to give, I don't think anyone was deliberately attempting to mislead. I think that there were some mistakes made in the haste in the investigation, and they were cemented, and it, it it muddied the record. I mean, and it makes it much harder to get to the truth of what actually happened when it becomes, you know, part of the, the UFO um, uh, legend. Yeah, I think Kurt's opinion on that side of this is is totally valid. I mean, it's uh, regrettable that, and in one case, I think it's to his advantage and all of our advantage that now, all these years later, he's done so much digging with material that is now available on the internet. And it, and he's able to see these changes as they occur and actually maybe get a better idea of the big picture of how it happened. Well, that, that leads us to a question by one of our forum posters, Joey22, who doesn't post very often, but he uh, posted a question, uh, several questions for you guys. Do either of you know of any sightings since the Cash Landrum case in 1980 that the descriptions resemble the craft that uh, Cash and Landrum saw? I've got one. Chris, how about you? Nothing exact. I mean, as far as just a dark object with flames coming out of it, the flames are kind of atypical. But if you've got a good one, go go for it. This is strange, partly because of the location. And this was in Liberty County. It was, uh, I believe this was 1983, so this was, you know, just uh, uh, barely two years later, a uh, deputy, I'm not sure if he was a deputy sheriff or deputy policeman, he saw, uh, he was investigating a, a, a car theft ring. He saw a diamond-shaped craft that had some red lights on it. It, it was. He said it was big enough, uh, the size-wise, that, you know, if you do the outline, you could park about 10 cars in it. And it had bright something that looked like bright headlights. There were no flames, but it, it was diamond shaped and it was close to the area. So that's that may mean nothing whatsoever, but you know it's got to be interesting. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that talking about other cases in the area. And I should send you these because I did find in my files a couple of reports by other people in the area, and I believe uh, Vicky probably gave me their addresses and put me onto them. But I will send those to you. But there are people who cited unusual things, and maybe in one case it was roughly diamond-shaped, so to speak. But you're right, not at the same time and nothing that's a, you know, a spot-on match for what they, what they described. Well, as far as uh, just, just to get back to something similar, one of the things that, that we didn't mention was that their impression, I said that they didn't imagine a relationship or behavior. There was one behavior that they, they described, they, or impression. They thought that the craft was in distress. They thought it was having trouble flying. So so that was that was one thing. So it's possible that those flames were not part of the intended performance of the craft, that it was some sort of, it might have been venting flame or, or fluid, something like that. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. I mean, I'd say, in my opinion, that's far more of a likelihood. Yeah, and and I seem to remember from reading early reports on the case that the women did have a sense that the craft was in trouble and that the, the bobbing up and down was, was uh, inadvertent, uh, at least in their in their impression, um, and that the the later sighting of helicopters may have some, somehow been uh, related to some sort of problem that the craft was having. 
Yeah, Vicky makes the point in the in the interview that I did with her of stating that the you know this thing sounded like a motor that was in trouble, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I said my feeling that if these helicopters, wherever they came from, had come from somewhere like Fort Hood, they had to be in the air already to arrive right when these ladies had seen it. So maybe that adds up to indicating that there was some problem that was already known to be occurring. But then, based on what you're saying there, and we'll get amplification as we go along, this indicates more and more that we knew what it was and that it was conventional. <laughs> well, I mean... I don't think anyone... Go ahead. That's never really been uh, conclusively demonstrated, but here's another question from Joy22. Have there been any recent attempts to learn more about the government's involvement, possible involvement in the case through any sort of FOIA requests? How have the FOIA requests, uh, how has that gone over the years with this case? I did a number of them back in the day, but unfortunately my, my experience and my feelings about FOIA these days are you're not going to get anything that they don't want to tell you. And um, in many cases it's a hit and miss proposition, and uh, unfortunately in later years it's become such a long process. You rarely get to, I mean, I'm five years later I'll get a reply to something I may not even remember what it was, so I don't do them myself, but I think it would be worth doing. I came up with zero on mine, but I want to say something about the records. It was partly the work of uh, what Chris had done, his friends uh, uh, Dale and, and Jim in, in the Computer UFO Network in preserving the uh, the past uh, FOIA requests and case information, including the legal documents. That was a great resource for me, and that's available online, including there were one of the key pieces of evidence in the case, the interview that the witnesses had at Bergstrom Air Force Base in 19... That was the same year, 1981, uh, August 17, 1981. And it was the... Uh, it, it's very interesting because some of the information had begun to to feedback. I think as the witnesses were questioned and the investigators processed the information, I think some of the information they accepted and may have begun to say more than they actually saw. And well, certainly it's my feeling that the witnesses at times described how they felt over what was actually happening to them. You know, everyone is, your experience is colored by emotion, and I think that there's some of that in here. And that's not to say the witnesses weren't reliable. It's just to say that they're human. We have Kurt Collins and Chris Lambright with Gene and KK. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We 
the People Grow Cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin V, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education. Since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Our final four segments of this episode featuring Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins talking about the Cash Landrum case, trying to unearth the possibilities here. And as I said in the previous segment, can we dismiss then? that this was a conventional, possibly a test aircraft. And I'm thinking maybe we were testing nuclear aircraft at the time. Is that possible? John Schuessler didn't think so. But remember, he's a big proponent of uh, of UFOs and, and alien life. He's a deputy director of MUFON. He had a possibly a bias in that direction. Um, but he should know, as a as an engineer in an aerospace field, what what the United States and... Uh, competing nations are able to fly and build. He really didn't think that was a possibility, and even if it was, there would be other type of radiation needed to do that. That it's never been proved one way or the other, but it's it's a, it's just such a with the presence of the helicopters, the way things behaved, it's one of the strongest um, candidates. But it's, yeah. there's so many unexplained things. I would tend to agree, and and I think Kurt made this point early on that I think the witnesses always felt that way over any of the other options or other possibilities. I think they always felt that this was probably some kind of military program or project or something happening as far as that's concerned. Um, curiously enough, I was looking at a copy of a memorandum for division chief that was written by the uh, Department of the Army Inspector General's office at the time. And when you mentioned FOI requests, this brought up to, to me something that I always thought was strange. is On the last page, under general comments above his signature, he states Mrs. Landrum and Mrs. Cash were credible. Then it says the DAIG, the Department of the Army Inspector General, investigator felt, and whatever he felt is blacked out. The only part of the entire document that's well, whited out completely. Then it continues the policeman and his wife were credible witnesses and some other things down below there that, he, that his opinion nobody was uh, 
misperceiving or exaggerating or whatnot at the time you talk to them. But I always thought somebody yeah, wanted to do an FBI request. I would like to know why the inspector general's whatever he felt seems to me to be the whole point of his investigation, why that was blacked out. And curiously enough, he goes and talks about several of the places that he talked to the the uh, National Guard talking to them about their helicopters. A trip was made to Conroe to the local sheriff, National Guard detachment commander. And I just noticed the other day of all the places that he spoke with, never mentions Fort Hood. He does say that he knows there were helicopters there, but he apparently doesn't say what he found out if and when he went to Fort Hood and asked them about their helicopters. Wow. Can I, can I talk some more about the military possibilities? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Go for it. 1980. We had hostages held in Iran. There was there was a massive secret uh, project to rescue them. There, there was, there was one a helicopter attempt that failed in the in the spring of, of 1980, and there was a second mission that was planned. And the 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 mistakes in the first one part of it came from having unqualified personnel, or we'll just say that they weren't uh, used to working with one another. So the some of the military structures we have today with the, the special forces interacting from different branches was created in this second plan. It was um, it has the uh, code name, which uh, is associated with uh, some UFO war. It was called Snowbird. It was also known as Honey Badger. What we were trying to do was uh, equip helicopters, some of which were CH-47s with night vision equipment, uh, boost their range capacity, uh, have them interact with some smaller helicopters. Uh, they call them baby bells. And that was only part of the mission. There were other things going on, including uh, Lockheed outfitted a, a, a C-130 uh, transport plane with larger wingspan jets under the wings so that it could take off in um, a very short space where they had planned was and a soccer stadium across from where the hostages were held. And that was a huge undertaking, and that, that plan was put together in just a few months. So there were some real secret projects. By the way, the test flights originated from Area 51, if you want your, your alien mystery connection. And, and these flights ranged from as far as California to parts as Texas, but not as far as we know as close to um, Dayton. But there were mysterious helicopters in the air. There were secret projects. In addition to that, the same the same time we're working on the uh, the stealth bomber. So there there were a lot of secret things. And so when people started questioning whether or not this was a, a government secret project, a lot of these agencies the the branches don't communicate that well. They might not have known. They might have wondered: Is is this something the army has? I mean, there was just it was possible. You know, it was desperate times, so uh, with with the, the boom in technology, they had to wonder if it was the other guy. Well, that's typical of the one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing. <laughs> but I think the worst aspect of this, regardless of whether it's conventional or unconventional, is the fact that some people were injured. So can you give us maybe now, because we have like three and a half segments left of the episode, let's focus on the injuries and the treatment and the aftermath. Yeah, we have a question about that from Solarian. How is Colby Landrum doing since his awful exposure to this particular energy source? Well, first of all, uh, uh, Betty Cash died 18 years after the accident. She had she developed cancer and uh, had mastectomies, which we cannot say were definitely caused 
by the UFO. You know, people in their 50s begin to develop health, health problems. So, you know, we're, we'll never know for sure. Uh, Vicki Lander died in, in 2007. Uh, she, she apparently uh, did have some health problems, and uh, Colby seems to have, have fared the best. He, uh, he's alive and well in uh, living in the Dayton area uh, of Texas and does not find any joy in talking about his experiences. He prefers not to talk about it. Were any legal actions taken as a result of these injuries? Certainly, if it was our aircraft, we'd be suing the government <laughs> up the wazoo, as they say. I'm sure you've heard of Peter Gersten. He was the, he, he's called himself the UFO lawyer. He was a, a kind of a flamboyant figure uh, then and now who um, had the citizens against uh UFO secrecy, and he was a big crusader for the government to release documents, and he and had, had quite a bit of success with that. He attached himself to the case, filed out the paperwork. When when the ladies uh, visited uh, at the suggestion, when they they were campaigning in their own behalf, uh, they'd written their senators, and the senators uh, arranged a meeting at Bergstrom Air Force Base in Texas. The they met with the lawyers there, and they were given forms to uh, damage forms to fill out. So uh, Peter Gerson uh, filed those forms, uh, and the claim was denied. And as, as things went on, it it went from uh, from a claim of injury against the Air Force. It was resubmitted, or it morphed into something else—a a civil suit against the United States—and. The um, it was it was sort of a strange argument. It said, um, "Well, show us show us the craft that you had that did this, or admit that this was a UFO that you can't control." And there was an argument that the government couldn't win, even if they could admit to either side of that argument. They yeah, it doesn't make much sense from a, a legal point of view to couch your claim with those sorts of conditions. That's that's pretty bizarre, actually. The the government it, it's not known really what sort of investigation they did in their defense, but they did. Um, they gathered reports from representatives of, of military branches and from NASA, and they said, "Well, we don't have a big diamond shaped craft that's that matches this description." And they sort of sidestepped the issue about the helicopters. But but it was it was the argument of a lawyer that that either the government was responsible in some way, either from having a craft that, that injured them, or for for failing to protect the witnesses from this intruder. We'll have to find out more about that intruder and what it did or didn't do. We have Chris Lambright, Kurt Collins joining KK and Gene. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, 
special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey water filtration systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. George Washington said, Government is not reason, it is not eloquence, it is force, like fire. It is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. America's government is no longer the servant of the people and the protector of our liberty, but has become that fearful master. We the people must understand the nature of this government gone awry if we are to be successful in saving our country. America is being deliberately destroyed by a cabal of international gangsters so that she can be forced into subjugation to a one-world government. The God-given, unalienable rights of the Declaration of Independence are in jeopardy. We must not let them be stolen by ambitious and evil men. Utopia Silver Supplements believes it is our God-given right to make our own health care decisions however we deem best. If we can help you with your supplement needs and better health, then help us win this health freedom battle. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A silver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. Again, 888-213-4338. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With KK and Gene, Chris Lambright, and Kurt Collins joining us. 
We're talking about the saddest part of the Cash Landrum case, which is the fact that three witnesses suffered injuries. And also pretty curious about how the government would respond to a lawsuit about this. Very strange. The lawsuit was met with, with, with great resistance. It seems like they, they took the complaint seriously, but never made any admission uh, of the UFO. And, uh, of course, Peter Gerstmann said, well, since they refused to, when, since they refused to admit and yet do not deny that the event happened, that that is in itself an admission there was a UFO. So I, I wonder sometimes, and, and this is just my questioning nature, if this wasn't a side campaign of his to force the government to release some more information about UFOs, and he's written words uh, that even appeared in the, the MUFON journal where he thought that the, the chance of winning the case were between slim and nine. So uh, there was some other agenda, and I think, I think though, that he did intend to put pressure on the government and maybe force a settlement, but I don't think he ever thought he could really win it in trial. I don't think there was enough evidence to do that. Was he seeking financial damages, treatment? What was he seeking? $10 million for Betty Cash and 5000 each for uh, Betty and Colby. So it was, it was financial. Well, it sounds fairly modest as lawsuits go these days. Well, inflation. <laughs> was there a decision on the part of the doctors who examined these people, what they thought caused so-called radiation poisoning? The doctors, the initial doctors that examined them, did not conclusively state radiation poisoning. There was, uh, and Colby and Vicky were not, they did not receive hosp- uh, treatment in the hospital. But when That's Incredible did a show on it in, in 1981, they had all three of them checked out at uh, uh, Houston Medical Center. And, but there again, they weren't able to say conclusively it was, it was radiation. So it was, it was mainly Dr. Rank who did not personally examine the witnesses, only their records and photographs. And, but when, when Betty Cash, she moved almost immediately after the incident to uh, Alabama because she was unable to work and her health was so bad. She lived with her mother, and, and there she eventually, I think it was in 1983, Dr. Brian McClelland, who was not a radiologist, but a uh, family medicine and geriatrics uh, doctor. He's the only doctor, to my knowledge, that has unequivocally stated she suffered from radiation. And I'll mention again, that is not his specialty. But, you know, a doctor has said that she suffered radiation burns. Were there any other conclusions from doctors as to what it might be, if not radiation burns? Alopecia errata for the... uh, the hair loss, um, I, I'm not sure what, the, there was a lot of medical language in John Schuessler's book. He has, he has, um, he cites some uh, quotes from, from the doctors, and uh, strangely enough, none of the doctors actually use the word burns themselves, and there's not a diagnosis of radiation. But there, there were injuries, there was UFO sighting, they're connected in some way, and whether or not it was actually radiation that caused it is in my mind, not the key issue. It happened, they were hurt, and there's a huge mystery as to the source of the UFO and the, the helicopters, and there seems to be a cover-up in, in some ways, and it, it, it's, the, the whole case is, is puzzling, including the way it was investigated. This, 
uh, Chris is one of the few people who ever interviewed Vicki Landrum and, and Betty Cash besides the primary uh, team led by John Schuster. It was almost as if he had a an ownership of the case and protected the information, which it, it could be. What if they made mistakes? What if there were leads that, that they forgot with those records aren't open so that we can't don't know if there are some, some cold clues that, that might lead to, to solving this and finding out what what they saw and possibly what they were exposed to. <laughs> you, you said it, brother. <laughs> well, let me ask you, Chris, and I'll pose the same question for Kurt. Chris, in your investigation of the Cash Landrum case, did you find information, facts, stuff that's just not part of all those original reports? Um, there were certain things that came out and later were, were I guess you'd say, became more prominent later. You mentioned radiation, and I think it Kurt makes a heck of an interesting point that none of the doctors seem to say radiation, although I don't know if unless they went out and chopped up the road in the middle of a little strip out in the middle of nowhere for nothing, there seems to me to be some rationale for removing it and putting concrete on it. But what type of radiation, as he indicated, is probably at this point less vital to determine so much as substantiating everything else. Um, I let Kurt talk most of the time because in our exchange, he probably knows that, of course, back in the day, everything was done by letters and phone calls and access to information was much more difficult. And he's absolutely correct that you can even see in the tape some of the things when I'm trying to ask Vicky about certain things and she kind of smiles and looks away and you realize this is information that she's either maintaining or in one case she said, well, John's been so nice. She doesn't want to step on his toes. And there were certain things that John didn't want to let me use because who knows why, you know, some photographs that at the time I had, it all started when I thought I'd edit some of the videotape and put it out there for people to see. Well, but like he, like Kurt seemed to say, there was the question of, well, John's working on it so much. They didn't want to sign off on things. So a lot of this information is basically gone. I mean, and who knows where it is. And if it ends up in somebody's storage box or it's never given out there, of course that happened with all the APRO files that somehow somebody got them. But other than the information, I guess my aggravation with it is exactly what Kurt points out. Fundamental errors that are oh, made early on, the object description, certain assumptions that the investigators may say, or who, when I went in 1985, I was ready to core a hole in the middle of the road. And then you find out it's all been chopped up, hauled away, and concreted on there. But your question of why didn't somebody climb it to get that kind of, if the object lifted off the roadway and moved over the trees and it was 130 feet from the witnesses and enough to radiate them, whatever kind of radiation it was, and enough for someone to chop the roads up, why didn't somebody take some infrared photos of the treetops afterwards or crawl up in the trees and clip off some limbs? But in the short, if John heard about it by February, and I, I don't know how long these things might last from, you know, for a two-month period, but some things could have and should have been done that, that just, I mean, it's gone now. And that's just very frustrating. If you can't even get the description right, and in many cases, Betty Cash on the phone, when I was telling her, asking her again about the description, because I talked to her on the phone about a day and a half or so after I'd gone down to uh, talk to uh, Vicky the first time and was trying to clarify these points about the description of the object and telling her, well, John has an article that he did, and she'd cut right in and says, yeah, I have every one of his articles. And I'm thinking, but wait, but here's this picture that he's got accompanying his article that has clearly a description that's not at all what they're describing. And I wondered, 
is she not seeing the same pictures that everybody else is seeing? So I don't know. I don't know. We'll get into more of what might not have been covered in the initial investigations in a moment. We have Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins with KKNG. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin mineral detox formulation called MicroPlant Powder Gold. MicroPlant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make MicroPlant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org. Ouch! My back is out again. Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's D-R-O-R-T-M-A-N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right. Did you know that 50% of heart attacks are brought on by infections? Did you know that hospitals are breeding grounds for antibiotic-resistant bugs like MRSA? 
The environment is infected with parasites, and the mild winter means ticks with Lyme disease, mosquitoes with West Nile virus, and cold and flu viruses will be on the rise. Protect yourself with nature's natural anti-parasitic, antiviral, antifungal, antibiotic, Allison, the heart of garlic. Get concentrated protection with Ali C and Ali Ben from Affinity Health Products. One capsule of Ali C equals 40 cloves of garlic or 100 garlic pills with no garlic breath. Ali Ben has Allison in spray, liquid, and cream forms with three times more strength than leading brands and costs less. Go to Ali-C.com, spelled A-L-L-I-C.com, or call 855-ALLISON. That's 855-255-4246. That's 855-255-4246. Protect yourself with Ali C and Ali Ban from Affinity Health Products at Ali-C.com. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. K.K. Barnes, Gene Steinberg. Don't ask me who K.K. is. He's some guy who possessed Chris O'Brien. <laughs> Chris Lambright joining us with Kurt Collins. And what I asked before is, what have you guys learned that wasn't reported as far as the original investigation? And it looks like John Schusler kind of kept things to himself, but was he just careless about keeping his files, his information? This was his baby. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, I, I have a question before you answer that. Here's a medical question. Chris Lambright and I um, are uh, have been quite good friends with Ray Stanford for a number of years. And one thing that Ray kind of, uh, I think, mentioned early on in, in his exposure to, to potential um, adverse physical effects from objects is the development of Bose lines in the fingernails of people that have been in close proximity to some sort of energy field that apparently surrounds these objects. Do you guys, either of you know if anyone detected concurrent Bose lines on any of the witnesses on the fingernails? Unless Kurt has it in some of the information that he's come up with, once again, those kind of detailed records of their health conditions, I've never seen them. There, there is something. I, now, I'm not sure of the, the terminology, but there were lines in the fingernails of Vicky's left hand, which supposedly she rested on the roof of the car, uh, and why one hand would be affected, not the other. Maybe there was something in the deal with the body of the car, but she, um, and that was one of the things that they said was consistent with radiation poisoning. But yes, I don't know why. That, that's my point. By one hand only. That's what was very strange. But supposedly she she later lost those fingernails, and she she had, actually lost her fingernails. Wow. In the Borgstrom interview, she says that she she saved them for analysis by a scientist and had tagged them so that they would know which finger they came from. Now, we don't have records of what that analysis might have shown. And, oh, I can't, I've got to tell you this. I hope you guys can analyze the significance of this. But uh, I, I think when you're looking at a UFO case, one of the things you've got to do is, is eliminate uh, astronomical bodies like Venus. I think we agree about that, right? Right. <laughs> so Venus doesn't hover over a road shooting flames out with a dull roar. Uh, I don't care what Phil Class says or uh, <laughs> Jim Oberg or, you know, this McGahee character or Bill Nye, the science uh, dweeb. 
I don't care what they say. This is not Venus, but you, but you're right, Kurt. You do you do factor you've got to, out. You've got to rule out the candidate. Yeah, yeah one okay, of the first things I do is bring out my my planisphere and and my star charts and 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 start going over. Bring them out tonight, Chris. I want you to look up December 29, nineteen eighty. John Schuessler, on numerous occasions, cites the moon as part of the contributing factor for the illumination of the helicopters. The huh, I don't think I have a lunar phase on, on my uh, my planetsphere. Hold on. I'll go check while you guys uh, carry on. Hold on. Okay. The, the point is the moon was in the third quarter, which means the moon rises after midnight in the third quarter. There was no moon in the sky. John Schuessler is one of the, one of the best. He's made a fundamental astronomical error. He's the oh. lead investigator. I, that sounds bad to me. I don't know what I, if Phil Class had stumbled on that fact. I think he would have made some hay out of it. You know, that's a that's a heck of a thing to find out because I even told you when I was doing the illustration that I had heard or read that it had rained or drizzled a little earlier in the evening, but I wasn't sure whether the clouds had covered the sky or not, and I had to lighten the sky just to be able to show the outline of the upper part of the object. So if there was no moon and nothing else brightening that, because that's a good distance away from Houston, the place would have been exceedingly dark. Yeah, especially with all the big uh, pine trees around. You know, planospheres don't have uh, a, a moon phase uh, correlation on them, but but my ephemeris does, and I don't have it at my fingertips. So, But if you're saying it was in the third quarter, that doesn't sound like enough illumination, and, and the timing's totally wrong. Exactly. So it's just it's just a it's just a basic mistake, and it should have never crept into a report like this. For with the case that there was this important, and and this is not the only thing. I made a I made a, a list of of the top ten things, and but I had fifteen that I considered blunders in the case. And it's it's the fact that that and it's not unique to the Cash Lanham case or to Mufon when 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 Apro had the uh, Travis Walton case. I think they were they attempted the ownership of it, and you know there are other UFO investigators that say the Marley Woods case, or you know they stake this territory and they don't want to share the information, maybe because you know UFO incidents are precious and spread out over the world that they find something close to them, they want to protect it, but it does bring some questions about the material, the processing of the information. And it makes them liable to cherry picking the information. Yeah, and and for John Schuessler uh, to have some glaring sort of missteps in this uh, is a little disconcerting because, of course, John Schuessler became the uh, you know the heir apparent uh, and it was a director of MUFON for a number of years after Walt Andrews stepped down. So you would think that the head of your organization, who's a rocket scientist. I think he was in charge of training uh, astronauts in like negative G environments and pools and that sort of thing, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know that that does kind of raise a few, uh, kind of tweaks my uh, klaxon a little bit, and some alarm bells are going off here. Uh, maybe that was by design. Maybe there was some sort of directive sent down saying, "Hey, make sure that nobody really gets to the bottom of this." And uh, make sure that the witnesses don't talk to uh, people. You know, obviously, like I said, I've known John for years, but but he does play things very close to the vest on at times. And and I'm just wondering maybe if there was an agenda there. You guys, I mean, obviously you can't demonstrate that except to point out obvious uh, blunders. But do you guys suspect that maybe there was a little bit of a cover up going on? 
Don't get me started. I'll let Kurt answer this one. <laughs> I, after the Paul Benowitz case <laughs> and after having been at this a long time, yeah, bingo. I, I, I see things that I begin to think, if this is that important, I can't imagine, especially cases like this, like, you know, Paul Benowitz was the one where I cut my teeth on, but this kind of case and others, you can't imagine it being left to chance. That somehow both sides would be managing or there'd be some control of it. But I have my own issue with, well, I'll just say as far as MUFON and some of the other places go, we need some kind of a an open source reporting database where cases go in and everybody can see that it's there. So there's nothing that can be isolated and nothing is owned. And you can't even get in touch with the witness because somebody else is the only one with their email address or the only one who knows how to reach them. And it, it ends up, we end up in a situation like this 20, 30 years later, left with so many questions and obvious blunders and things that should never have been let go when everything, you know, when the trail was still hot. Right. And then you also have uh, people like Robert Bigelow who slap NDAs, non-disclosure agreements on anyone that has anything to do with something that he's involved with. You have the proprietary sort of private hoarding of data and knowledge. This has always been a problem and will always be a problem in the field. And that's compounded, of course, by the by the government's intransigence and, and secrecy. And uh, don't get me started on all that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, we can have a regular old time. We can bring out the trickster personality from KK. And he can just go to town on that. But, yes, it is unfortunate. Chris, are there any more questions in the till? Or have we covered everything? Well, the, you know, there are. This one is from Bridell, and he's he's been a poster here just for uh, about a month here. And um, he's already posted quite a, quite a number of posts on forum.theparacast.com. But has there uh, been a documented report to correlate their radiation sickness symptoms with known types of radiation fields. And he points out that there are differences between ionizing and non-ionizing radiation, acute versus chronic exposures and all the combinations therein. And uh, he says, I would think symptoms should be qualitatively linked to a known source type. Do the symptoms that the that Betty had, especially, and, and Vicky and, and uh, Colby, uh, do they correlate with any specific known types of, of radiation? Uh, do we have, can, can we can we establish a, a smoking gun link anywhere? Before we get smoked, we have Chris Lambright joining us with Kurt Collins and KK and Gene, you're in the Barricast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Web 
whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy bodies products from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. Got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay. Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable and a whiz on the phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest largest independent talk radio networks in the world and we're hiring right now we offer benefits and an excellent commission structure experience preferred but we'll train the right person is that you submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com again that's advertise at gcnlive.com come work with the genesis communications network an equal opportunity employer a little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. That sounded more like the Parrot Cast. <laughs> That's KK. 
With Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins joining us, of course, Kurt Collins is also known as Sentry in our forums. We're focusing on the Cash Landrum case, and the question that Chris asked was, or KK, excuse me, is whether the particular type of radiation poisoning-related symptoms suffered by these witnesses relates to any known condition. Anyone with an answer? Kirk can take this one if he has any more information. I've I've not seen anything definitive spelled out by anybody who was in a position to to know, you know, doctors or otherwise. There's so much. There's conflicting information, and sometimes I wonder if the injuries weren't sensationalized just a little bit in order to make it sound more like radiation poisoning. That's an opinion of mine, and you can strike that. But I will say that the diagnosis that have been published, we're just getting fragments of it. So until we have the medical records, who can say? And if I could read the medical records, I couldn't tell you because it's couched in professional language. So it needs to be open and reviewed by qualified personnel. I totally agree, but losing your fingernails and losing your hair and suffering what sounds like radiation poisons, uh, poisoning symptoms. I mean, losing, it takes a lot of trauma to uh, make your hair fall out. And it takes even more trauma to, to cause your fingernails to fall out. I mean, that, th- those should be classic symptoms of a certain type of radiation. I don't know enough about it to be able to comment. But if we have any medical professionals out in the, in the Paracast listening audience, it'd be interesting to hear from you at forum.theparacast.com. Come sign up. It's free. We don't give away our, your email address. Give us a load, some lowdown on how these particular symptoms sensationalized, possibly. I have seen photographs uh, that were taken of the, of the women, and they definitely did interact with some sort of energy field. There's no question, I think, in most people's minds that have looked into the case. So there's anybody out there that has a uh, 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 heads-up knowledge of this uh, of these symptoms uh, do contact us and uh, post something on our forum. Yeah, a thought that a thought that goes through my mind, and and I tend to give a lot more credence to Kurt's attitude now that the term radiation has been used a lot, and it gets people thinking along that lines. But I've often wondered about the impression in the dashboard because clearly they they both seem to be adamantly certain that her handprint was left in the dashboard. But what amount of energy it would take to soften a dashboard, especially with the other heat, you know, the heat of the car, she had to open the doorknob, that sort of thing, that would soften the dashboard enough, but Vicky's hand wouldn't have burned the minute she touched that. I mean, if we think in terms of just softening it up with, with heat, so I don't know, I'm not sure what what that spells out or what that suggests, but I've often been confused to wonder what might have caused the dashboard material, if I presume it was the old-style plastic or, you know, kind of material that we think of, would have allowed someone to press their handprint into it, but it wasn't so hot that they didn't burn the skin off their fingers, if you know, by that time, pressing on it. So I don't know whether that suggests that maybe there was some other kind of energy that it wasn't just strictly radiation, although the obviously physical effects of the ladies does certainly does ring with a lot of the types of effects that uh, even Schusler and Imzow had been you know, documenting six or seven months earlier. So, A little bit more about the radiation. This is, this is something I should have mentioned earlier when Gene was asking about new information on the case. This isn't, strictly speaking, new information, but it's something John Schusler never exa- uh, addressed. When the ladies were in uh, the Austin area to, to visit the Bergstrom Air Force Base, they visited their local uh, representative, I think it was Browder, and had a discussion. I think he was out of the office, talked with his aide. The point is, as 
As a result of that conversation, the Texas Department of Health sent their radiology. They have a team that de- deals with radiation exposure. They they visited the scene, drove up and down this seven-mile stretch of road, tested at a number of points, and found no, no traces of ionizing radiation. I know very little about radiation, but I do know that there are different types, and it's plausible that there could be something that didn't leave trace. But if it was a nuclear bomb, say, or a nuclear weapon or a nuclear power drive, it would have left traces uh, on the road, on the car, and you know that we could measure. So this has to be something else. And uh, the results of that test was was discussed briefly in the newspaper, but what has not been mentioned was in the report, it said that they encouraged the ladies to, uh, and, I, and I can't remember the exact language, I don't want to get it wrong, but they wanted to either have access to the medical records or to examine the victims to determine what they've been exposed to. I have a large question here. We only have a few minutes left to have it answered. And that is, okay, so we have this case in 1980, and we're doing the show in the mid-2013 time frame. Okay? A lot of years passed, all right? 33 years. Is there anything we can do today to get a better handle on this case, or is that trail just gone cold? It's too far in the past. John Schusler thinks so. The primary witnesses are dead. However, some of the doctors are still practicing medicine. They were fairly young in 1980. Colby Landrum is still alive. The reporters that covered him and the, the earliest testimony, they're still alive. Alan Holt still, is still working for NASA. So whether or not we have primary evidence, the participants in the case are alive and well. This isn't like Roswell where you're going to have to talk to their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Some of the original participants are still alive. This should not be a, a stone-cold dead case. There, there's still possibilities. The helicopter pilots would probably be in their 20s or 30s. They might be nearing retirement age, so it's possible one of those would talk. So I think there's yeah. a potential for plenty of leads in this case. I agree. That would be what I would hope. I would, I would ask any of the helicopter pilots who were involved at the time to look at their own small children or grandchildren, look at their mother or daughters, and think if they were lying there on a hospital bed that injured and just wanted someone to tell them the truth, I think maybe it's time, especially in the environment we have these days, that one of these guys should just come out as a whistleblower or whatever it takes, give some information, name some names, something that you could go and at least get some substantiation for Colby, if nothing else, because Vicki was always concerned. She'd been told by one of the doctors that depending on whether it was radiation or what type it was, that who knows what Colby might develop 20 years later. Right. Or, or pass along to children and grandchildren. One thing that, uh, you know, I think is very interesting is we have the time correlation between the Rendlesham case and the Cash Landrum case. And we have witnesses in close proximity, both groups claiming to uh, suffer you know, severe medical uh, problems as a result uh, of the close proximity uh, to some form of of, uh, energy. I I just find it really fascinating that we should have two cases that occur within days of one another. Maybe what we should do here is get Peter Robbins involved in this. Maybe we can find some kind of correlation. Okay, this is the wrap-up. Kurt Collins, tell our listeners, is there any place they can find you online? or just in our forums if they want to contact you or check your work? Through our forums, you'll find a link to my blog that has several articles on the case. It's called Blue Blurry Lines. It's 
So either search for that or just check uh, check on my signature in, in the forums. And he's known in the forums as Sentry. Chris Lambright, where do we find more of your stuff? <laughs> well, I'm around everywhere, it seems like, but uh, you can reach me through xdeskpublishing.com. Any of the emails sent to there would be uh, accessible, or they can contact you guys at Paracast if necessary. But I personally want to say to everyone that I think Kurt has been doing one heck of a job. I highly recommend his website, the information that he has there, especially the chronology of the events and changes and whatnot. I mean, it's an amazing thing for a guy who just got into it a couple of years ago or started in on this case a couple of years ago. But this kind of serious, dedicated, detail-oriented research is uh, in short supply. Yeah, I'll <laughs> say. Good job, Kurt. This is a oh. wonderful thing. We really appreciate what you did, Kurt Collins. And by the way, Chris O'Brien can be found at OurStrangePlanet.com. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. He also has a book coming out this fall called Stalking the Herd. It's the real dope about cattle mutilations. That's coming, I guess, from Adventures Unlimited Press. And you can find us on Twitter, where we're known as the Paracast. Once again, we are known as the Paracast on Twitter. You can also find the Paracast fan club on Facebook. In fact, there are two of them connected to one account. We'd like your help to make it one. A special thank you to Chris Lambright and Kurt Collins. Thanks for joining us this week on the Paracast. I just want to thank uh, Chris for his work on the case, and be sure to check out his illustration based directly on eyewitness testimony. Everybody, go check out all the work Kurt has been doing. (laughs) If you want to know any details or facts about this case, so far that is probably the single best repository for it for up-to-date information. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.